Well, the story of Joseph that we're going to open the foundation series up with is, is probably one of the most compelling and exciting stories in all of the Bible. I find it interesting because if I look at, at Genesis as a whole, um, there's a number of chapters spent on, on Joseph. And Joseph is not even the main character. It's, it, it's the, the story of Joseph opens up saying, this is a story about the life of Jacob. And then for the next five chapters, it talks about, about Joseph and, and the coat of many colors, as, as you learned in Sunday school, and, and how he was sold into, into slavery to Ishmaelites, and how he ends up in Egypt, and, and how he goes to prison and flees from the temptation of, of Potiphar's wife, and then ultimately is exalted into uh, in the end, the, the story of, of Joseph is, is found in the life of Jacob, the last of the three patriarchs. So this is a, he's a transitional figure, transitions us from the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the children of Israel. First, before the children of Israel comes, we have to go through Egypt. It's a, it's a story of intrigue, it's a it's a story of favoritism, of betrayal, attempted murder, deceit, a beautiful woman and subduction, and in the end, redemption. I mean, in the end, the good guy wins. Don't you just love movies or books where the good guy wins in the end? I mean, he triumphs. The whole book or the whole movie is about how he's, he's just been put down and, and stepped on, but in the end, he, he rises to victory. Well... Well, that's sort of the story of, uh, of Jacob. He gets the last laugh, but, but Jacob is, is not ultimately victorious. He is still conquered by the one enemy, the one enemy that he has and the one enemy that, that you had until you came to know Jesus Christ, and that was death. Joseph, like Jacob, dies. And yet he makes a statement at the very end of the story that we're going to see I'm going to introduce it this morning. I'm going to show you some ways not to interpret the life of Joseph, tell you the main idea or the big, the big picture, and then we'll go back and walk through it over the next three Sundays. And in the very end, Joseph tells, uh, makes a statement about his bones that will give us a key to, to why God wrote the story and, and what we need to understand when we think about the... the uh, the storyline of the, of the Bible. I mean, really, if you look at the life of Joseph, Hollywood couldn't write something, something this good. I mean, it's, it's just, you, you, you start reading and it's hard to, it's hard to put it down. And I, I, what I hope to, to help you with is, as we go through the, the story of Joseph is to show you why God wrote it and how it fits into the book of Genesis and ultimately how it fits into the, to the storyline of the Bible. Like all of the other parts of of Genesis, all the other parts of the Bible for that matter, the story of Joseph is there to teach us something about God. God is the main character in the Bible. We'll learn some things about man from Joseph because we are human beings just like Joseph was a human being, just like his brothers, just like Jacob, just like Judah, Tamar, and the rest. God is going to teach us something about himself, something about man, and he's going to show us how he's fulfilling this, this great plan of redemption that he promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. 
after the fall in the curse, a seed would come from the woman. And she, or that seed coming from that woman would undo the curse. You want to see the, the life of Joseph in the, in the film reel of the Bible. As we said, the big picture. Because that's why God ultimately wrote Genesis. You don't want to think of Genesis, you don't want to think of the life of Joseph as just a, a, a bunch of disconnected stories. I mean, Genesis is not about Cain and Abel and Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah and Isaac and, and Jacob and Joseph as if these are a bunch of disconnected stories. They're, it's, it's all to put together. It's the story of God and how He's revealing Himself and how He is set about to fulfill this promise that He made in Genesis 3. The characters in the storyline have a single purpose. And that's to reveal God to us and ultimately show us Christ. Because the whole Bible is about Christ. Because we need Christ, don't we? We do. The story of Joseph is a single scene in that great drama. It's a story of faith and a story of fulfillment. And, and we'll look at it together. Rather than go back for you and trace where we've been in the book of Genesis, I gave you a handout this morning that you can keep with you for for review, and we've been through the three parts of Genesis, the, how God introduces Himself in creation, and then the, the, the introduction of sin, and then, and then we get to see how sin permeates and how ugly it gets from Cain and Abel to the Tower of Babel. And then Abraham comes on the scene, and we see God makes a promise to Abraham. We see how God uh, um, links that promise, how He's going to fulfill it through a... Through a covenant, we saw how God in providence keeps it all together and on the right track. And, and we left off, I think, with, with the story of Jacob and Esau, how, how God has the right to fulfill His plan however He chooses to glorify His own name. And then we come to the end of Genesis and you have the story of, of, of Joseph and and we see how the line transitions beyond the patriarchs. It's interesting when you go back, as I did, and review the covenant that God made with, with Abraham. He tells Abraham, he promises Abraham land, but that land and blessing and seed is all promised to Abraham's descendants. Abraham never received one inch of the promised land. The promised land is always spoken about as something that is coming to his descendants, something that is in the future. Joseph's going to tell us how Abraham's children end up in Egypt. And it's not just a story about morals. It's very easy to read Joseph and think about morals because morals are all through the story of of Joseph. Vody Bacham tells a story that gripped his heart when he preached Joseph. And he tells of a he tells of a story where he got a letter from a woman that he says broke his heart. It was from a Jewish woman who who heard him preach through the Old Testament and she enjoyed it so much that she wrote him a letter and he said 
He said, normally receiving a letter complimenting preaching, being an encouragement, was, was something that, that, that he would enjoy receiving. But, but this woman was a practicing Jew. She was not a believer. She was a practicing Jew, and, and she, she wrote to him and said, I listened to your message, and I know you're a Gentile, and I never expected to enjoy it that much. She said, I couldn't believe that I heard a message from a Gentile that could be so helpful to me to help me live out the Old Testament or to live out the Scriptures. She wouldn't call it the Old Testament. And Bodie said, I never expected that either. <laughs> he said, normally it's nice to get that encouragement, but, but her encouragement wasn't something that he should be encouraged by. It should be something that, that stabbed him in the heart, and it did. And when he went back over his, his sermon, he said the reason that, he, that, that this woman, this Jewish woman, found it so helpful was because it was void of the gospel. There was no Christ, no redemption, just morals and an encouragement to live by them. He described it as a watershed moment in his, in his preaching. Here was a Jew listening to a New Testament pastor preach, and there was no stumbling block. The stumbling block that Paul speaks about in, in 1 Corinthians is Christ and, and Him crucified. And the message she should have heard as one who was under the law was not, here is the law, now go do it. She should have heard the law is good, but, but you can't keep it to make you, lo- to make you moral. The message that she should have heard was Christ must die for you and make you a new creation because of that. You are not moral, but Christ is moral. And that's a very important reminder, I think, as we approach the story of Joseph. You understand that the message of the Bible is not God is looking for better morals from us. It's too late for that. He's already evaluated us and found us wanting in every way. We are not moral. We are immoral. Daniel 5.27 says you've been weighed, in the, weighed on the scales and found deficient. As, as, as God's finger speaks that to, to the king, God's word speaks that to us at every turn. The message of the Bible is God is not looking for better morals from us. The message of the Bible is God is looking for repentance and gospel-clinging believers. I mean... We have no hope outside of the gospel. We have no hope in morals, no hope in ethics, no hope in making ourselves better. We, we only have hope in the gospel. In Bodhi's estimation, was that's not what this Jewish lady, lady heard. What she heard was an Old Testament story and an exhortation of go and do likewise. Not you can't do likewise, but Christ did and then some. And frankly, that's, that's a big danger as we approach the story of, of Joseph. I mean, if you think back over what you've taken out of the story of Joseph or preaching that you've heard on, on, on Joseph, you could see why just preaching on the level of morals or, or morality could be, could be very, very dangerous. It'd be easy to make Joseph a story fit for a Jew, not fit for gospel-clinging believers. 
So as we, we, we enter into Joseph this morning, it covers a number of chapters. I just want to introduce the story this morning with a warning about two temptations that you, you have to avoid whenever you, when you approach Joseph or any Old Testament, Old Testament narrative. Now, I hope what you're going to do is read the story of Joseph after today. As we walk through it, that will help you. I want to show you these two temptations and then end by, by telling you why God wrote Joseph. It's, it's very clear, it's crystal clear, and it's found in the New Testament. And I'll take you there, that passage at the very end. There are two ways, or two temptations that we have to avoid when we're reading the life of Joseph. And, and the first one is, is we, need to, we need to avoid moralizing it. There's the temptation to moralize the story. And the second one is there's a temptation to allegorize the story. The temptation to moralize it, meaning we see it as lessons for life rather than what God wants us to see about Himself. We miss that the, the main character in the Bible is God and we automatically go to ourselves and find out, okay, what are the morals or what are the lessons that God wants me to take from Joseph? Now, there's some lessons that God wants you to take from Joseph. But the first thing He wants you to see is Himself. And the other is to allegorize it. We see Jesus under every rock, per se. We, we see how God's promise is unfolding leading up to Jesus. It's extremely easy to read the life of Joseph and think that the point is go and do likewise or be moral like Joseph was. And that is easy because we should behave just like Joseph behaved. But that's not the reason that God wrote the story of Joseph. Joseph is only one of three individuals in the Bible where there's no record of sin. Did you know that? You know who the other two are? Daniel and Jesus. That's some pretty, big, pretty heavy company, isn't it? Joseph and Daniel and Jesus. That's the reason when you approach Joseph that it's easy to think that it's a story about go and do likewise, or, or just morals, or earthly living. We should be faithful even when we're done wrong. We should flee immorality like, like Joseph does. We should forgive and not return evil for evil, like when his brothers show up for the, for the grain. And, and to that extent, Joseph gives us a great example. Our problem is we can't do those things. Our problem is we're not faithful consistently. Our problem is we don't flee immorality every time. Our problem is we don't always forgive. We do return evil for evil. And that's the reason we need a Savior. The point of the story of Joseph is, is not to point us to his morals, but God's promise of grace. The God who rightly demands all of those things... I just mentioned, yet finds none of them in his creation, is on a mission to redeem. He is at work, and the life of Joseph is a backdrop upon which he'll reveal himself and show how he's accomplishing that. I wrote down in my notes as I was preparing this morning, the blessing of morals, the danger of moralistic reading. The blessing of morals the danger of, of reading the life of Joseph as, as that's all it's teaching. 
And in our attempt to apply the Bible, we really we, we put the real application out of reach. We, we stop too soon. We, we pick the low-hanging fruit, and we don't see how it connects to the, to the big picture, which is why we're doing the whole foundation series. Or to say it another way, it's easy to miss the point. Joseph is very easy because I said it's, it, it's just right there. I mean, it's, it's plain and, and simple. We don't, have, we don't have in Joseph what we have in Jacob or Abraham who are liars. I mean, Joseph doesn't lie. Joseph doesn't do anything wrong in the story. Joseph does everything right in the story. And it's easy to read the life of Joseph and, as I said, apply it like a Jew to make it about ethics and life and never leave earth with your application. You may have heard it preached that way. From the pit to the palace. Man, that's a good sermon title, isn't it? Sermon theme, bad things happen, but if you are faithful in the end, God will bless you with prominence and prosperity. You could turn on the radio and hear that just about anywhere you want to. The problem with that is we're not always faithful. And the problem with that is that's not always true. You may be as faithful as Joseph by the grace of God and die because of it. You may be faithful as a pastor to the truth and be run out of your church like Jonathan Edwards. The prophet Jeremiah is a good example. The moralistic approach, moralizing the story of Joseph, may go something like this. Open your Bibles to Genesis 37. Let me show you exactly what I mean, what not to do. Genesis 37. Here's where the story begins. Taking only the low-hanging fruit or the or the the earthly side of the story. Genesis 37, chapter 37 is a lesson on bad parenting and jealousy. Moral is, don't pick favorites with your kids and don't be jealous of your brothers. Well, that's absolutely true. Don't pick favorites with your kids and don't be jealous of your brothers, Bailey and Nathan and Jared. Genesis 38, the story of Judah and Tamar. Lesson is on hypocrisy and immorality, the immorality of Judah. Moral is, adultery will be found out. Never mind the heroine of the story is an adulteress and uses prostitution to reveal the adulterer. Genesis 39 is where you come to the famous story of of Potiphar. Lesson is on faithfulness and fleeing temptation. Moral is be faithful to those who are over you, Potiphar, and flee temptation. Moralistic reading. Genesis 40. Now you come into the, to the dreams of the prisoner from Joseph rises to prominence even in prison after he's thrown there. Lesson, moral lesson, faithfulness in difficulty. The moral is how we ought to live when the going gets tough. Genesis 41, Pharaoh's dreams. It's a story of dreams and interpretations and promises failed and kept. It's a lesson on rising again to fight another day. 
The moral is remain faithful and God will bless you big time. (laughs) This time Joseph is exalted by the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh. And when you put the whole story together, the lesson... The moral lesson from Joseph is, in life you will be disparaged and abused in the world, but just hang in there and God will reward you if you do. There's a good lesson in all of those points that I just mentioned in that moralistic reading would be accurate, but without connecting it to the story of the big picture of Genesis, it could be a sermon fit for a Jew. Morals are good, The moralistic reading misses the main point of the Bible. Which is we don't do those things and that's why Christ is coming. And Joseph is here to show us that Christ is coming. Not only that, if you go that route, Christianity can be reduced to religion no different than any other religion in the world. The message that leaves out how it's revealing God and His plan of redemption says only Joseph was faithful and so God blessed him with wealth and success and notoriety. Bodibakum, again, speaking of this danger, said, How are morals like that any different from Hindu, Muslim, or or following Buddha? Because God is the source of success? That's, that's just such a subtle danger. I mean, do you want to follow Jesus? Follow Jesus and success will come into your life. I mean, you don't want to go to hell, right? You want to go to heaven, so follow Jesus. Does it matter the blessing comes because it comes from the God of, of, of your book rather than the God of, of another book? I think Bauckham's right. What makes Christianity different is Christ. (laughs) We must have Christ. He is our morals because we don't have Him. And until you embrace that bankruptcy, until you embrace that inability, until you embrace the fact that when you see God and when you see the morals of Joseph and you see all of those things and you look at yourself and you say, that's not me, I don't have any of that. You're not ready to look to the one who did it. You're not ready to look to Christ. But when you do, you are. I mean, look at the New Testament. Who embraced the message of Jesus? Was it the Pharisees? Was it the religious? Was it the ones who knew the law? Was it the ones who said, here's the moral way, walk in it? No. It was the ones that knew as they had tried to keep the law that they had failed at every point and they had nothing else to hold on to. And so here came Christ and said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What makes Christianity different is that we, by faith, look to what God promised and accomplished on our behalf through Jesus. We are a people who freely and willingly acknowledges we are unable to do what the Bible says. You get that, right? I mean, we freely and willingly, because God tells us that, we are unable to do what the Bible says. But with the power of the Spirit, we're made new creatures, and we have new desires, 
and new power and new ability. You, weren't, you were slaves of sin, and now you can make yourselves slaves of righteousness because the Spirit indwells you, and you have new desires and, and a new ability that you, didn't, that you didn't have before. And the only way to get that new ability is to realize you have no ability. You see that? We're not people looking for, for lessons to get better or be blessed. We're, we're people who acknowledge that, that we're not moral and can't be so we look to Christ. We're not people who just look for lessons to live earthly lives. We're people who look for truths that point us toward a Savior that brings us to heaven. Okay, that's one way, one danger. The second temptation to avoid when interpreting Joseph is is to see Jesus too much. Allegory. While moralizing the story disconnects from the big picture and misses the point, allegorizing removes the real importance of the story by finding other points in it. Allegorizing meaning finding a meaning for everything in the story that was never intended to be there. You may think of it like what we've warned against with parables. Parables have a single point. But when you read a parable, it has all kinds of details. And the danger in reading a parable is to assign something to all of those little details. Well, the birds mean this, and the, the seed means this, and the, you know, uh, you know, this guy means that. When Jesus typically tells you at the end of the, of the parable, this is the meaning of the parable. Boom, one thing. Allegorizing in a, in a story like Joseph is, is making every little thing in the story mean something other than what, what a natural reading of the Bible makes it mean or shows it to mean. And it's easy to read Jesus into the story where God never intends him to be. Or as I said, find Jesus under every rock. I don't get me wrong. I mean, the whole Bible is about Jesus, isn't it? We see Jesus all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. He's the seed of the woman. Who, who is, why is God, why does God say to Abraham, in you all of the nations of the earth will be blessed? Because from Abraham is going to come Jesus. The whole Bible is about Christ, but, but He is the message as a whole revealed to us in parts, and Joseph is just one part. And Joseph was a real guy. Joseph lived during a time. He has a context. And allegorizing the story of Joseph, we would see everything symbolizing something else. And, and in doing that, you remove the real point of the story. It's almost like... Um, it's almost like the Bible code. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I get stuff all the time. You know, you'll, they put little cookies on your, uh, on your websites and such whenever you go um, read stories. So Google, Big Brother knows what you're Googling. And so they know if I'm Googling a lot of things about God or Christianity or whatever else it is, then they'll put little pop-ups and ads that relate to God, okay, Jesus. And one of the things I've been getting recently is, is something like this, but it's said in a number of different ways. 
pastor finds money Bible code. There's a code in the Bible. Did you know that? There's a code in the Bible that if you follow this code in the Bible, it's an investment code, and you can invest in the stock market on the base of this code, and you can make millions. Just ask this pastor who lived very poor and then found the code himself and left the pastorate, and now he is an investment guru for you and for me. Never mind that you have to pay him a small fee in order to get the code. But he'll show you what the code is. And so there's always, there's always something out there that, that takes away from the real meaning whenever you allegorize. So here it's like a Bible code. I'm, 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 it's a Jesus code. Okay, I'm reading Joseph. Okay, does that mean Jesus? I see Jesus there. Oh, no, 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 Jesus is over here. When the whole message is, is part of a context, part of a story leading up to, to the coming of, of Jesus. That's the reason it's important to read the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. It's the reason it's important not just a worm drill. The reason it's important to endure a foundation series and figure out what the whole storyline of the Bible is if you, if you don't know it. Allegorizing, we would see everything symbolizing something else, and that removes the real point of the story. I can remember sitting at a table with a mentor of mine, I don't know how many years ago, maybe ten, and he introduced a, a preacher to me who was in a restaurant, and they struck up a conversation because they knew one another, and, and the two hadn't seen each other for a while, and conversation went on and it got around to preaching as it usually does whenever preachers are talking and and I was just sitting there listening he doesn't know me I don't know him and and um he's describing this sermon that he's going to preach on on Sunday and the sermon came from some research that he'd done about the temple stones in the old testament how that they were that they were not cut with, with human hands or archaeologists had discovered that they used a, you know, a certain kind of, of saw to, to be able to accomplish this. And he went on to connect that to Jesus. Quite honestly, I really was trying to recall specifically how the storyline went, and it was so convoluted I can't even remember how he connected it all. But I just remember the statement that he made in the end from this reading about archaeology and the stones that they had discovered and how that connected to Jesus. And I just remember him saying, I tell you what, if you can't preach that, you're not God called. I just remember him saying that. I remember sitting there thinking as a young preacher, um, I wouldn't preach that. Does that mean I'm not God called? I mean, his point was, if that doesn't get you fired up, then, then nothing will. And he was allegorizing. A more common example might be like the, you know, the five stones that the David picks up when fighting Goliath. You've heard that example before that those are five principles to battle the Goliaths in your life. Is that what God meant whenever he wrote the story of David and Goliath? I mean, when, when, when God inspired, when the Holy Spirit inspired the writer, to say that David picked up five smooth stones, is that the point that God had for the five smooth stones? 
Why did David pick up the stones? I have no idea. He only needed one. He only used one. Maybe he was a bad shot. But there's nothing in the text that says that tells us why he picked up five. It's insignificant. And they surely don't have anything to do with principles. And if you focus on that in your reading, whether it's in David and Goliath or whether it's in Joseph, you can miss the whole point of the story of David and Goliath. We don't help ourselves or others. We actually hurt ourselves because by finding a point, we miss the main point. And then we don't look any further for the real point. You see how picking the low-hanging fruit or, or finding a, a Jesus code to read Joseph in an allegorical way would look something like this. Joseph had no record, no sin recorded, so he represents Jesus. Joseph in the pit, Jesus in the grave. Potiphar's wife tempting Joseph, it's the devil tempting Jesus. Joseph in prison, well, that's Jesus in hell. Betrayal by the baker, Betrayal by the disciples or Peter. Coming out of prison, that's the resurrection, of course. Exalted by Pharaoh, God the Father exalted Jesus. And you get the picture. And the story implies none of those things. And it misses the point by finding things the Bible never intended us to find. Now here the... the the words of Paul to Timothy echoing in my mind as I'm speaking to you now. Make sure that you are a workman that's approved of God, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if that's not what to do with the story of Joseph, what does it teach? Well, there's a number of chapters there and we're going to look at them, but the New Testament gives the answer. I want you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to end with this. Hebrews chapter 11. It's the Hall of Faith chapter. If you want to know the point of a lot of Old Testament stories and why it, it, it means what it means, Hebrews 11 is a wonderful place to go because it's a summary of the Old Testament patriarchs and otherwise... You can also go to the sermons of Acts or otherwise to hear Paul or Stephen or others recount the storyline of God as they're preaching up to Christ. Peter did just that at Pentecost. And Joseph has spoken of two places in the New Testament. And both times it's part of the storyline. gives us the big picture. Acts 7 which we're not going to look at, but you should go back and read it. Acts 7 is Stephen. When Stephen is presenting to the scribes and the high priest of Israel what God has been doing throughout history and why he is a believer in Christ and why Jesus is the Messiah, he includes Joseph in that storyline. Stephen preached the foundation series to the high priest of Israel. But Hebrews 11.22 summarizes the whole point of the story in one verse. Look at Hebrews 11.22. 
by faith, Joseph, when dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. That, in one verse, is the point to the whole story of Joseph. I want you to notice that it says nothing about the things that I normally key into whenever I read Joseph. It says nothing about faithfulness in trial. It says nothing about fleeing temptation, although both of those things are there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that those aren't morals that that are in the story. It's just not the main point. Hebrews 11 says Joseph is a story about faith that allowed him to look beyond Egypt to the promise that God gave to Abraham. Look at verse 22 again. By faith, Joseph. Joseph is a story of faith. By faith, Joseph. What was Joseph's faith in and what did Joseph's faith lead him to do? By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel 400 years before the exodus ever happened and gave instructions concerning his bones after he died. It's a story of faith that Joseph, all the way to the end of his life, made mention of the exodus before it happened and gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph, when we get to the end of the story, you will see, died in Egypt. Died in Egypt. As a matter of fact, towards the end of the life of Joseph, it's silent for the last 30, 40 years. I forget the exact number. A long time. You don't hear anything about Joseph. And then it comes to the end, and Joseph dies in Egypt. But all the way to the end of Joseph's life, he declared by faith the promise of God, the promise that God gave to Abraham would come to pass. That God would raise up a people in the land, and he was so sure of that, he told them where to bury his bones in the land of Canaan when the departure of the children of Israel came out. Now think about this. Joseph is in Egypt, exalted at the right hand of Pharaoh, saved Jacob and all of his brothers. They moved to Egypt, and that is the extent of the children of Israel. Jacob, his sons, Joseph, and it says by the end of Joseph's life, they multiplied to grandchildren and great-grandchildren. There weren't millions and millions of people in the life of Joseph. That's all that's there. They're in Egypt. And Joseph knows back in the promise that God gave to Abraham that this people would be enslaved and be there for a long period of time and then they would come out to the land that God promised them and before they ever begin to multiply, before the descendants ever begin to come, Joseph by faith affirms that this exodus will happen. We will come out of Egypt. We will be a great nation just like God promised and we will come to the land. And so when I die... You don't leave my bones here. You take them to Canaan because I know that's where we're going because that's what God promised. That's what the story of Jacob is about. They're not just morals in the story of Joseph, but faith. The story of Joseph is a story of a people from whom will come a Savior, through whom will come redemption. 
And over the next few weeks, I'll show you how all that fits together. Let me end this way. Because if you're like me, you've read the story and looked in the mirror. And what you find when you look in the mirror of whether it's the morals of Joseph or whether it's the law of God, you you find an ugly portrait, don't you? And if you're honest, you do. And you know the Bible never holds up the mirror without holding up the portrait of Christ? The Bible never holds up the law to condemn us without immediately bringing in the gospel and saying, here's the answer. When you witness to someone, when you share the gospel with someone, don't just share the law, share Christ as well. Don't leave out the law, but give them the answer. As the life of Joseph's come to your mind, are you struggling to fulfill those morals that are there? Do you realize that you're you're not a good parent? Do you show favoritism to people, maybe even your kids? When you look at your heart, are you jealous like Joseph's brothers? Are you like the baker, cupbearer, that forgets the promise that he made? If you see all those things and know that you can't stand before God who demands and deserves all of those things and then some, then quickly look beyond those and look to Christ who is your righteousness. And if you turn completely to Him, not Him plus morals, Him, then by grace, God will grant you what you could never obtain yourself, which is righteousness. And the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we're all unrighteous. We can inherit the kingdom because Christ was righteous. And in Him, every answer is yes and amen. Amen?